We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I am Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. He's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring, one Boromir-filled minute at a time. Yeah. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. And joining us today, we have Nathaniel Fuller from the Gamers Lounge podcast. Hello again. Ooh, I like the way you said that. It makes it sound important. <laughs> um, and today we'll be talking about Minute 114, which starts with um, the continuing of the establishing shot in the snow and ends with Boromir approaching Frodo with the ring. So this was actually shot on location where there's real snow. Yeah. Yay, real, real snow. snow. Which everyone was very happy to work with instead of having to work with the, yeah. the polystyrene bicarbonate salt mixture that they used in the passive care dress scene itself a little later. Mm, with the I snow like that it's real around. snow too, because you rarely get real snow on film. A lot of those yeah. times, it's all that f- you can tell that it's fake just because of the way that it clumps or doesn't clump or does this or that, mm-hmm. just depending on yeah. what they use. But you can tell that they are cold. Yes. <laughs> Orlando Bloom actually complains a little bit about the cold because <laughs> elves aren't supposed to feel the cold, so he doesn't get a, a coat. A coat, yeah. <laughs> Suffer for your art. Yeah. So he's So he's like doing these shots with no coat, just in the normal Legolas outfit. And then he, like, steps off set and warms up. Right. Has a hot chocolate or something. Yeah. (laughs) So he complains a little bit on the commentary about it. About being cold on these days. Frodo looks like a toddler in this shot. Especially with his hair all tussled. Yeah. That's that part where uh, Aragorn says, give the ring to Frodo, and you see Frodo's face. That is, he looks like a baby. And I don't know if it's just because, like, his cheeks are flushed because it's cold or, like, just the expression on his face, but he just looks like a disgusted toddler, and that's always kind of bothered me for some reason. No, it doesn't bother me. I actually like it. It makes it feel, to me, I like to imagine that this has been after, you know, many, many hours of trudging through the snow, and he's so tired, and they're all wet and cold, mm-hmm. and he's just about fed up with stuff, and then this happens and Boromir is messing with him. I was just like, ugh, I'm just all done with it. <laughs> yeah. I guess it bothers me because he looks so young. Yeah. And... It's because of the Blame Elijah Wood. He has baby face. Oh, no, yeah. He he, yes. he does. But, like, I don't know. It's not as prevalent, I think, in other moments as it is right here. It just... I don't know. He looks like a two-year-old experiencing snow <laughs> and being angry about it. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's partly because you have Aragorn right behind him and above him, almost like a, you know, a 
protective parent, maybe. That's true, yeah. So that framing might also contribute subconsciously and be like, hey, it's a little baby Frodo. <laughs> you pick him up and be like, oh, poor baby, it's Aww. time for a nap, you know? <laughs> burp him, put him down to bed. <laughs> you wouldn't burp a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So he's a baby. Uh, no, yeah, I don't know. I say baby loosely. Yeah. Anyone's a baby if they're a tiny than child. <laughs> How small must hobbit babies be? <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I think I somebody just got cuteness injected directly into her brain. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it's like a little wrapped, wrapped up hobbit baby. Holy crap, it's like a puppy. Oh, man. Oh, my God. It's like the size of a kitten. You just made my brain explode. Right. <laughs> so, so we get uh, we get another one of those really cool Boromir character moments this minute, mm -hmm. uh, of which virtually all of his lines are like cool character moments. Boromir's the best. Yeah, this uh, minute is the one that I really wanted to talk about, because yeah. it's got so much packed into this minute that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Boromir's line when he picks up the ring is so, like, is really iconic to me. Such a strange fate that we should suffer so much fear and doubt over so small a thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, a slightly reworded line from the book from the breaking of the Fellowship. Yeah. It's so good. It's such a, it's such a good line, and Sean Bean is just so fantastic in this role as Boromir. He really comes across as, like, tortured yeah i mean you look at his filmography this is totally a sean bean role yeah you know why he wanted to be boromir for sure because he likes playing these sort of doomed characters a little bit or these uh flawed kind of heroes where they have a lot of strength but they also have a lot of uh you know mental weakness and things that they have to fight right and so boromir is just kind of like his wheelhouse yeah and he's just so good at it. Well, he's I so mean, good that you really, really miss him in the other movies when he's not around anymore. Yeah, it's true. I uh, I said before when we were talking about Boromir that I had always kind of... I remember when I read the books for the first time and I saw these movies that I always kind of wished that Boromir had stuck around a little longer. Because his complexity adds a lot to the story. Yeah. I like that Boromir also... Cause Boromir's not dumb. Like no. all of all of Boromir's lines have been really good, like almost like summaries of the story so far. Yeah. Like, you know, his line about that we should suffer for so small a thing. Yeah. That really encapsulates <laughs> the story. The, the struggle of the Lord of the Rings. And like even like metatextually, like you can if you even if you think about the ring as like a pers like a, a personification of like Sauron's will or like his soul or whatever, right. like in a metatextual sense, like thinking about like a human soul or a person's soul is like so small a thing, like makes sense too. I wouldn't call souls small. I mean, now it's just a metaphysical minute. Uh um, <laughs> <laughs> like as a philosophy person, like the idea of a soul is kind of like a big idea, but to think about like the physical idea of a soul would be such a small, insignificant thing. Mm. You know? Mm. I really like that they transpose this moment here a lot earlier in the story than keeping it or just 
you know, cutting it completely from where it's at the very end when he's kind of confronting Frodo at the end of Fellowship of the Ring. It makes more sense to me here. Having seen it in movies now, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this. And they use this moment in like at least one of the trailers where he's holding the ring up and looking at it and slowly sort of reaching towards it. Mm -hmm. They use that uh, in at least one trailer that I remember. It's such a good temptation shot. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because he's literally reaching out to touch the thing that he's not supposed to touch. Yeah, and I think it works much better for me as like a temptation shot than when the ring's just on the pedestal in Rivendell. Yeah. Because he's so much closer to it. Right. Well, I like his performance a lot here because you can tell he's just so absorbed with the ring. That's all he's thinking about at this moment until Aragorn interrupts him. And then he's like, wait, what? Comes back to reality. He almost looks um, he almost looks a little disgusted with himself is the way I've always kind of read that look on his face. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's totally Boromir. He, you know, when yeah. he gets lost in something, gets all absorbed and obsessed with it. And then like, wait, what am I doing? Yeah. I feel some shame. Yeah. Like. I also like that they included this moment here, too, to remind us of Boromir's kind of, not obsession, but just preoccupation with the ring. And because it's been a while since the council. Yeah. I mean, at least that's how it yeah. feels. Yeah. It does two things. One, it helps with Boromir, but it also helps with the ring itself and showing that, yes, it's still working on people and, you know, weaving its way to, you know, their souls and trying to screw up this thing the fellowship has going like no we're gonna work on your mind and sow some doubts and things in there and hey why don't you take me for yourself it shows that the ring is still powerful mm-hmm. yeah they try to show the ring like about every 10 minutes at least in this movie and you can really hear it uh, whispering to him too yeah. over the music yeah over um one of the coolest uses of like music in regards to the ring is the like the boys choir voices when Boromir's mm-hmm. being tempted by it yeah because it's like an innocence kind of thing tempting Boromir. Yeah, because he's still coming from a place of good intentions. Yeah. And I think that's a real cool, like, musical beat for Boromir's personal temptation by the ring. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This scene is just so good. I also (laughs) kind of skipped over it, but I love the shot before he picks it up. The shot in the snow of the ring with uh, Aragorn and Frodo in the background out of focus. That really super close-up shot is one of my favorite ones yeah. in the entire movie. It's so pretty. And yeah, that was, like six, that was like a six-inch ring. Yeah, I want to see the actual like, ring the, prop for that. It's like a six-inch across ring, and the chain is like a really big chain so that they can get really close to it. So that when he picks up the chain with the ring, like it looks like it would if you were physically that close to the actual right. ring. Because a camera can't get that close. I like that we see his hand too, because then yeah. like it it scales back, and you're like, oh, of course it's Boromir. Like, well, yeah. it, it makes sense. Who else would it be? No, right, and it, <laughs> it reminds you that oh yeah, this guy, he's cool, but he's also really torn up about yeah. the ring. And then like the like kind of shame he feels after he is kind of snapped out of it mm-hmm. by Aragorn, and when he he starts heading towards them. To hand the ring to Frodo, like there's so much awkwardness on Sean Bean's face. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, uncomfortable. Like, yeah. and they're... of course, we'll see more of uh, why he is probably approaching them so awkwardly at the very beginning of next minute. Yes. Yeah. So, 
That's cool. This is this is a really good moment. I I definitely understand why uh, why someone would request this minute in particular out of a lot of the moments in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on here, yeah. character wise. Yeah, it's very very dense as far as all the things you can pull out of it, but it's very simple as well. Because we even get a like a really brief reaction shot of Gandalf seeing Boromir holding the ring. Yeah, everyone is just kind of waiting, like, like their their collective collective breath has been held yeah just to see how this man from gondor will react right to see what he's gonna do because and everyone was there at the council yeah so they know like they're wondering to themselves like whether or not aragorn and boromir are about to throw down right um which we see a little bit more of in the next minute yeah it's a very interesting way to do tension because it's a very tense moment, but it's not like tense in the same way as the, you know, crows flying over something, holding that note really long, that kind of tension or, you know, what you find in yeah. a horror movie. But it's still very kind of edge of your seat, oh, what's going to happen kind of a moment. But it's very mm-hmm. simply kind of understatedly done. Well, because it, it's more psychological. Yes. It's less uh, it's less tangible threat. Yeah. So. And I think it it's made all the more unnerving with the musical cue, yeah. because for tense moments you tend to have like you know the really choppy like chaotic music, but for this it's so lyrical and like yeah you know it's children singing to you like <laughs> yeah like a little well, you get that sort of little sense of what Boromir might be thinking in his mind why he wants it is for you know the good he can do with it and sort of promised glory is kind of what it seems like he's tempting it with. And they do that all just with sort of the musical cue. And it's mm-hmm. really, really insane how good Howard Shore did with this movie with oh, all the just different little musical things that he does to kind of elevate moments or, you know, kind of understate other ones, just all the different little details that he put into the score of this movie everywhere is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ring theme in particular, I think is like so knocked out of the park because it's very beautiful. It is a very beautiful theme, but there's something somewhat menacing about it. Yeah. But it is just very pretty, and I think that really underscores underscores like the temptation kind of aspect of it. Howard Shore did such a good job connecting like the emotions we're supposed to feel to like the way the music is put together. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what you get when you give an artist enough time to work on something and really put all of their you know mind and soul behind it. You know, yeah. a lot of movies don't get that much time they score it pretty quickly yeah uh cassandra just recently made me aware that there is an older symphony based on lord of the rings mm-hmm. that i had no idea existed i'm really curious to listen to that oh it's very and good and listen to and then listen to like the howard shore soundtrack yeah kind of very close together and like get a feel for how different they are they are very different but i mean because one's based off of it's almost like a fantasia kind of thing like yeah one is based off of it's like backwards fantasia so like it's this composer's uh impression of the book yeah and then i mean cuz howard shore is a composer but he's specifically composing for movies yeah and the movie kind of dictates what needs to happen right. where like certain themes like need to have so much of an action beat to them mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Well, it's interesting like, about I, Howard Shore too is this is very very different of a score compared to the stuff he did before this movie. Just as far as 
how very theme based it is and other stuff like that. He did a lot of Cronenberg uh, movies, if I remember right, before this, as well as other things. And they're a lot different in style as far as what type of a score it is. So it's another reason that this score impresses me so much because it's not like, oh, you hire John Williams when you want this kind of a score. You know kind of what John Williams is going to do and it still could be excellent. Right. But before you know this movie came out, we didn't really know exactly what to expect from it musical wise or you know anything wise and it's one of the best movie scores ever done yeah, yeah so good i agree because like you listen to a movie like a soundtrack or a score and you're you kind of have a feel for the composer like danny elfman music sounds yeah like, like danny, danny elfman, elfman music uh, and... but not like going go boingo no no <laughs> uh, but stylistically like danny elfman has like there's a voice certain this, things that yeah. he does when he's scoring a film and like you said john williams you know you can right. always tell when it's john williams right just because there's something about that because john williams has a tendency to be like a lot more bombastic mm -hmm. that and just also you can tell just in the tone of you know the chords he's creating or the different mix of instruments right. or the type of you know rhythms and things that he's using all these things add up together to say mm, this is john williams i can tell because it yeah. sounds like this other john williams thing i've heard yeah. right there's there's very few movies with soundtracks that like i can hear so much of in my head when i think about the movie like star wars is one of the other big ones right and jurassic park yeah well anything john williams like. yeah <laughs> like but like this movie more than a lot of the others i can hear so many themes other than like the title theme right and each one is distinct and you can link it back to where it happens in the movie right like i can't really hum to you any other theme from jurassic park other than the main theme oh really that's the one that like that's the only one that like really sticks in my brain oh. the same thing is true for like star wars for the most part there's like two themes from star wars that i can always kind of remember mm-hmm but like this movie, there's like 10. Yeah, at least. <laughs> My favorite bit of musical score from this movie is the bit where after the party, Bilbo's put on the ring and he's invisible going up the steps and the camera's mm. kind of following him even though he's invisible. You can't see him. The little like magical kind of plinkety tone that is there. That's like the only time that ever happens in any of the movies. And I just love the sound of it. Yeah. It's very yeah, playful that's almost and whimsical like, and fun. Yeah, that it feels like it's from Fantasia almost. It's like it's very whimsy. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's like you said, there's so yeah, many sure. great themes. And another cool thing from this movie is all of the themes that we haven't actually gotten to yet that are for things from Two Towers and Return of the King that he teases in here, here in the bit. You know, like in the council when he teases the uh, stuff when Boromir's talking, he teases musically some of the stuff that you won't hear until Return of the King when you get to Minasteris. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, I it's love just such a well-thought-out, detailed score. It's crazy. Yeah, because we hear hints of the Fellowship theme long before we hear it in full in yeah. this movie. It's very interesting listening to and watching some of the interviews on like the ex uh, extended uh, editions, all the different videos and things and reading things. They mention culture a lot in both music and in like crafting armor and things, they put a lot of thought into where did this come from and mm -hmm. what are all the pieces that go together that make up this thing that we're seeing now. So they thought a lot about the history of things and why say a dwarf choir would sound this way or elves would sound this way or the armor would right. look like this 
it's very, very interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I, and every look is so distinct and every, every culture's music is so distinct. Mm -hmm. There's just so much great detail put into this movie. Yeah. Like compare like the Gondor theme to the Rohan theme, like going forward in two towers. Yeah. Ah, man. I love the Rohan theme. Or like just (laughs) the difference and just the difference, like in one culture, like, because the Rivendell theme and the Lothlorien theme are very different. That's true. Yeah. And like, <laughs> There's so much just and even like the clothes, even among like the same races, the difference in clothing between well Legolas and the Mirkwood elves and right. like the Rivendell elves and the Lothlorien elves mm-hmm. and then like just Aragorn Aragorn's to Boromir. Yeah. Like there's just so much great detail in all of it. Mm-hmm. I could You can definitely tell it's I've these movies are a perfect example of how if you have people who are very passionate about something and they put all of this extra detail in there that you don't necessarily see on screen, it still shows up just on how everyone reacts to it, say, because this set has all this extra detail in it, it they're able to get more absorbed in it. Or, you know, their costume has all these little details that you might not see on screen, but they know about it. So it informs their performances. All these little things add right. up. Yeah, like when we're when we pause the movie in between minutes sometimes or like when we're watching a minute for like the fifth or sixth time and we're going over stuff, I continually notice things in the background of this movie that I've never really noticed before and I've seen it a dozen times yeah. at least. Especially with the costuming. Especially with the costuming. Like the detail that goes into Or like the candelabra I noticed in the back of the room with Bilbo and Frodo. Right. I've never really like that's never really caught my attention before. <laughs> but... Stuff like that. Yeah. It just informs, like, everyone's collective passion and time and effort just combines and culminates in this amazing, like, feat of cinema. Yes. There are a few properties where you could get somebody to hand make chain mail and not have them just go insane and murder people because it's so Mm -hmm. boring or whatever. They've done thousands and thousands and thousands of rings already. Like, I'm done. Nope. People will suffer for Lord of the Rings because it's a property that's been around for so long that it's so close to so many people's hearts. It's right. kind of amazing. Yeah. And like some actors, uh, like specifically they call out Ian McKellen uh, after arriving on set and realizing just how dedicated they were to getting this movie right. It really informed how much of himself he threw into his performance from that point forward. Mm-hmm. And you really see that in these actors. Yeah. Everyone just brings out the best in everybody else. Yeah. And oh man, I love this movie. <laughs> Me too. I'm glad we get to talk about it every week. <laughs> yeah, I get, we get to talk about it all the time. So good. This is an outlet for all these things I've had in my head for years. There you go. <laughs> so if you have thoughts, uh, you can, we're on Facebook. We have a listener group. Um, there's a lot of good discussion that happens there. Uh, we're also on Twitter and, you know, you can find all the ways to, to contact us on Dueling Genre. Um, and also, if you have a moment, um, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Tell us, you know, like tell your friends, yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, Give we, some feedback. It helps us grow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thanks for joining us, uh, Nathaniel. Um, and we want to... Say a thank you to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. Uh, I hope everyone has a good Thursday, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye!
genre.